If you've been listening along this season, you know that we've been exploring the stories our foods tell about the places we call home. At the beginning of the season, I asked you the question, what flavors come to mind when you think of home? I'm curious how your answer has changed over the past few weeks. What stories have come to mind as you've listened to our guests reflect on their own meaningful experiences? What recipes have you found yourself wanting to make or to research in more depth? What questions have arisen as you've listened to our meditations on authenticity, on local eating, or on our ancestors in the faith? Today, we're going to talk about my own fascination with these food stories, why it led me to write about bread, and how it sparked my vision for edible theology. Welcome to Kitchen Meditations, a weekly podcast from the Edible Theology Project, where we examine the ways God meets us in the kitchen and at the table. I'm your host, Kendall Vanderslice. If you are hungry for a taste of God's hope and healing in the mundane tasks of your everyday life, then you've come to the right place. May these meditations bring you a bit of grounding as you prepare to eat today and every day. Let's get started with a little spiritual mise en place, a prayer to orient ourselves before we begin. In the professional kitchen, mise en place is the process of preparing your workspace for the dishes you're about to make. It involves measuring your ingredients and reading your recipe all the way through so that you can focus on the feeling of the dough between your fingers. I like to think of it as a time to prepare my own mind and body as well, asking God to be present with me as I cook, or as I bake. Our spiritual mise en place today is drawn from the Lord's Prayer, found in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Slow your breathing, and now as you breathe, repeat with me. Inhale. Lord, give us this day, and as you exhale, our daily bread. When I was in my early 20s, I began working towards a degree in food studies. My goal was to become a food writer, focused on history and culture, but for a while I chased a career in restaurants as well. I kept a blog recapping my learnings in school alongside recipes I developed for work. I interviewed for editorial positions and interned at top restaurants and spoke with every food media person I could get in touch with for tips on how to grow my career. But as I dug into the food world and observed the people whose careers were a few steps ahead of me, I grew frustrated. It seemed that the best writers and bakers in the industry wrote from their close connection with the foods of a particular region or culture. They could dig into the history of the places they called home. They could trace their family favorites throughout generations. They could write and bake out of deep personal ties to the foods they adored. I didn't even know how to answer the question, where are you from? Dallas, well, and St. Louis, but most recently Chicago. Now my folks are in Boston, but I didn't grow up here, I mumbled every time someone asked. I didn't feel any sort of connection to the foods of these regions, apart from a love of Tex-Mix and brisket, thanks to my days in Texas. 
Definitely not enough to write about them at length or to build a bakery concept on them. I'd followed all different kinds of wild diets and eating regimens throughout my high school and college years. That insatiable quest for the right way to eat is part of what drove me to the field of food studies in the first place. But that wasn't really what I wanted to write about either. I loved food. I loved studying it, writing about it, making it, and eating it. But the question of what kind of food writing do you do was even more confusing than the question, where are you from? We've talked about this disconnection from place in several episodes this season. In our conversation with Lori Wilbert, we discussed the anxiety that often comes with the lack of a place to call home and the felt need to find grounding in other markers of identity. In our conversation with Patrice, we discussed both the privilege and the tragedy that could keep someone from feeling a sense of connection to the places that have shaped them. In our meditation on authentic food, we considered the ways the absence of an easily defined food culture encourages Americans to hold a peculiar longing for authenticity in the foods of others. This desire for some kind of connection, some kind of grounding, some kind of home is a natural one. In the story of Genesis, humanity was created out of soil. And I think our desire to be grounded in the very soil that nourishes us and shapes us is good. Of course, we also know that restlessness is an inevitable part of our human experience, too. Both the restlessness due to the displacement wrought by the brokenness of this world and the restlessness, as Augustine says, that comes from needing to find rest in God. It was this restlessness that drew me deeper and deeper into my love of bread. My body felt equally at ease when my hands were submerged in dough and when I placed the Wheaton wafer on my tongue every Sunday. I don't know how to describe it, but to say that God spoke to me and healed me and drew me in through the baking of bread and sharing it with others. I began to find that the relationship between bread and my own body and the bread of life and the body of Christ were all inextricably linked. In time, I found that bread was all I wanted to write about. And as I dug into the religious significance of different grains and the theological battles fought over the presence or absence of leaven, I realized that while I might not have a particular food culture that has shaped me, my religious identity is completely wound up in bread. And through the study of bread, I could learn the stories of so many other brothers and sisters in the faith as well. Today, when I'm asked what kind of food I write about, I'm happy to share that all of my work begins with bread. Some of you might share my deep love of bread. Perhaps you carefully tend to your sourdough starter and watch YouTube videos to hone your technique. Maybe it was our Bake with the Bible program or a Bake and Pray workshop that first drew you to this edible theology community. Some of you are terrified at the idea of working with yeast. Or maybe your body cannot digest the protein found in wheat. Or maybe you just don't like bread. Don't worry, I'm not judging you too hard over here. While the material makeup of bread itself 
and the cultural and historical significance of it can teach us so much. Bread also functions as a metaphor for all of our eating. The stories wound up in bread and its impact on the world are just a window into the larger role that food plays in shaping our societies and our lives. About five years ago, I began dreaming of a media company focused on these stories of food and religion, that focused on the ways food and culture have shaped theological commitments throughout history, and the ways that differing theological commitments shaped the development of food and culture. I envisioned a magazine and a podcast and eventually a documentary of some kind, beautiful, thoughtful, nuanced food media that reflected the ways food, religion, and the human experience are all intertwined. I began talking with potential partners in this work, many of whom grew really excited at the prospect. But I was in the middle of a graduate degree, about to launch a book and go on tour speaking about the importance of communal eating. I begrudgingly accepted that it wasn't quite the right time. In the spring of 2020, nine months after that book had launched, my speaking events suddenly dried up. The very message that I'd been preaching about embodied relationships around the table became not only impossible, but dangerous. And yet I knew my research on community building through bread and around the table could speak poignantly into this pandemic-ridden world. I began developing resources and hosting virtual events with churches all across North America. I practiced, quite literally, praying for my daily bread as I actually baked bread and served it to others. It was through this moment of personal and communal need that the Edible Theology Project was officially born. I like to say I backed into building an organization. Rather than crafting a business plan, drawing in funders, then launching into the world, I was thrown directly into the fire, doing anything I could to match my gifts and skills with the needs of the communities around me and my own needs too. For those of you who have followed along, God has met me, this whole edible theology community really, in some beautiful, miraculous ways. Together, we have been building communities of rest and joy in the kitchen and at the table. This year, 2022, has been a year of shifting gears, of getting our feet underneath us and building out the framing for the years ahead which included gaining 501c3 tax-exempt status last month. So you might be wondering, what comes next? First, let's return to the question that troubled me so much in my early career. Where do I belong? This question is not unique to me. It's one that affects almost all of us. It's a question that shapes our cultural landscape today. Right now, all of us can answer that we belong to an era defined not only by a COVID pandemic, but a loneliness epidemic as well. For the past several years, public health officials have expressed concern over the negative ramifications of loneliness on physical and mental health. But recent research also reveals that this loneliness epidemic is partially to blame for our civic crisis, too. When we are lonely, our brains are not capable of engaging with ideas or experiences that are different from our own. Our unmet need for belonging feeds the polarization wreaking havoc 
around the world. At the Edible Theology Project, we believe the solution begins in the stories told about food and around the table. When our basic needs for food and for community are met together in a delightful way over a meal, we find ourselves more open to hearing stories and engaging in conversations we otherwise might avoid. And as we've explored all season in kitchen meditations, the stories embedded in our food itself inevitably lead into stories about religion, gender, class, and race. They lead into stories about joy and about fear, about family and faith. They lead into stories about the topics we're taught not to talk about at the table, the very topics that shape the social fabric of our lives. I believe that God offered us a meal of bread and wine as the cornerstone of Christian worship, because it is the sharing of food that mends our relationships with one another. This bread and this wine tell a story, a story of brokenness and redemption, of death and resurrection. And the actual sharing of this bread and wine in community forms relationships that allow us to experience a taste of God's healing here and now. In the coming year, the Edible Theology Project will launch a suite of new media programs, curriculum, and live events that use storytelling about food to help facilitate conversations around the table. Our work is designed to equip you all with the tools you need to build communities capable of addressing the hard topics that shape our lives. We've just emerged from a fraught election. Some of you might be feeling a huge sense of relief. Others of you might be feeling a huge sense of fear. As we look sober-mindedly towards 2024, we know the stakes are only getting higher. We need tangible methods of addressing the fear, the loneliness, and the polarization tearing us apart. We need tangible methods of listening to each other and creative ways of meeting one another's needs. As simple as it might seem, I believe that stories about food and stories told around the table are where we ought to begin. At the Edible Theology Project, we are committed to telling these stories in beautiful, thoughtful, and nuanced ways. I hope you'll partner with us as we do. Inhale, Lord, give us this day. Exhale, our daily bread. We'll get to our kitchen tip in just a moment, but I want to take a quick break to tell you more about how you can support the Edible Theology Project in this season of growth. The suite of programs we will launch next year cannot come at a more important time. In our research and design, we are specifically focused on supporting community leaders and church leaders in the build-up to the presidential election in 2024. In order to complete our research and roll out these programs on time, we need to raise $100,000 by the end of this year. We would love for you to join us as a founding financial partner in this work. Each gift of $100 supports our newsletter and discussion prompts for one week. A gift of $500 covers the costs of a single episode of Kitchen Meditations. And a gift of $2,000 allows us to conduct and record an expert interview that demonstrates our table conversation methods at work. 
As you plan your year-end giving, be sure to include a tax-deductible donation to the Edible Theology Project. We can practice new ways of telling stories and building community. I hope you'll join us in this vital work. To learn more, head to www.edibletheology.com fundraiser. Again, that's www.edibletheology.com fundraiser. We'll link it for you in the show notes as well. Our kitchen tip today is for the moments you find yourself entering into a tricky conversation around the table. In order to have productive dialogue across differences of opinion, everyone involved must be committed to respecting their conversation partners. As we look ahead to Thanksgiving, many of us are preparing ourselves for fraught conversations with family and friends. In this circumstance, remember that preserving your love for one another is vital. It's out of that love that you can wade into conversations about the topics that shape your experience of the world. Unfortunately, discomfort might be inevitable, but discomfort is not necessarily a bad thing. Awkward silences, elevated voices, tense conversations, those can be signs that you were talking about issues that matter. The discomfort is not exactly fun, but it doesn't have to end in total breakdown. When emotions rise, remember your commitment to love and care for each other. Take turns sharing a story that reminds the people gathered of the ways you've cared for one another in the past a tangible marker of your commitment to helping each other thrive. Though you might disagree on what it looks like to care for one another well, these stories will keep you grounded in love and respect. They will help you pick up these hard conversations again at another meal and allow you to trust that transformation happens through community over time. And now to close, a prayer for daily bread. O bread of life, With every crumb, you draw us into a story of your presence, provision, and promises made through food. You pull us together into one body as we feast on your bread, sharing stories of hope, of loss, of love, leading us home to find rest in you. Give us each day our daily bread. Nourish us so that we might continue to share the work you've given us to do. Amen. Kitchen Meditations is brought to you by the Edible Theology Project, where the communion table meets the dinner table. We encourage you to discuss this episode around the table with your spouse, small group, or friends. Need some help getting into that rhythm? Sign up for our weekly newsletter at edibletheology.com, and you'll get discussion questions and a recipe delivered straight to your inbox every week. Our intro music is by Josh Garrels. A huge thank you to my Edible Theology team who made this podcast possible especially to our producer, Jason Rugg. We would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or Spotify. Then share this episode with your friends. Your help ensures that others discover this podcast too.